Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. and you can just flip over your sermon insert and you can put this at the heading, preparing your heart to receive communion. Preparing your heart to receive communion. And you have just two points that the text is going to drive our souls to. And that is, of course, we're going to be looking at an unworthy heart and then two, a worthy heart. What does it mean to have a a worthy heart and an unworthy heart? Well, Paul, in our passage, he he lets us understand the importance of not only the, the purpose and the reason for communion, but he also gives us the hard intent of it. So let me read these scriptures for us as to gauge our study and our passage this morning. It reads in verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Let us pray. Father, we approach your word with a desire to understand. You have brought a, not only a rejoicing in the Lord's table as we look and remember Christ and, and all that he has accomplished, but there's also an internal self-evaluation that happens. This, of course, is for the purity of your church. This is, allows the believer to, to get right, not only with you, but with others. And so, Father, we just ask that the Spirit will, will teach us this morning of, of what it means to, to approach communion in a, in a right heart, in a worthy way. For your scriptures give us much, and we just ask that you would teach us, Spirit, be with your servant. I pray these things in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians, it's a letter of correction. It's a letter that, that brings forth an understanding. And Paul is, 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 is writing with an intent to help the, the church there at Corinth to understand exactly how to approach communion. We kind of find ourselves in the middle of this, but I think it's appropriate for us to, to get an understanding that Paul's desire is for them to function in such a way that they honor Christ and how they go about life, especially when it comes to this ordinance of the Lord's table. 
You and I both know there's two ordinances that the Lord has left until he comes back again. The Lord's table and then, of course, the ordinance of baptism. Both of them are symbolic. They are a sign of what Christ is doing in the life of the believer. It's a cause, call for remembrance of all that he has, he has done. And so we, here we are, we find ourselves looking at the right approach when it comes to looking at the Lord's table. In the verses that preceded our passage this morning, Paul had clearly addressed the importance and purpose of communion. He, he draws their attention back to the upper room and the significance of what Christ was doing there. In our passage today, the apostle addresses the heart of believers when it comes to remembering and taking communion. So biblically speaking, communion and the partaking of it, it is for believers, and I want to emphasize that. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want you to participate in communion with us. It's not about somebody's lordship or, or territory. It's about you coming to the Savior and you understanding that he is your Lord and that he is your king. However, on the other side, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would just ask that the elements pass you by. Why? Because this is a sacred thing for those who trust and believe in Christ. Yes, we want you to come to Christ, but we got to also understand the significance of what's going on that, that Paul and, the, of course, our Lord has set this aside for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as king. In light of that, Paul says we must do this in a worthy manner. Now, the worthiness of, of the communion focuses in our, on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? That's exactly what we draw our hearts toward. We look at his redeeming our sins. There's a theological element where we look, come to the Lord's table and we see all these things kind of just flushing our way. Fall, you know, when we look at and tear it apart, we see the cross, we see the, 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 the crucifixion, we see the, the ascension and the resurrection. We see all these things that our Lord accomplished when he came the first time, to be our Lord and Savior. And so the Lord's table was to help us to understand all that Christ accomplished and all the good that, that was, was going on. We think about the atonement and the shedding of the blood. We think about the incarnation and the sending of Christ. And it points to the symbolism of these elements as we remember the sacrificial lamb who was shed once for the sins of the world. I mean, it's a joy to be able to, to think about all that's wrapped up in the Lord's table. You think about when it was instituted and the reason why and how Christ even transformed a Passover lamb, pointing to the reality that he is going to be, the blood that is going to be spilt, and the death is going to pass over those who know him and trust him. It is for us to understand that there is forgiveness, that there's grace, and that there's love, and for us, when we partake in communion, it is to remind us that he is the only way for salvation. We don't take the Lord's elements or the table with any other event or life. We take it in life of the church and the life of the reality that Jesus Christ is king. For us, we partake in communion to remind ourselves that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is for us to be unified in him as a church. And you think about what it's doing. When we look at this, this exhortation to examine the heart, it, there's a call for us to get right with one another before we even partake in the elements here. And so it's a, a unifying factor, a, a purity for the church to be able to go through this and to be able to get right 
with one another in light of what our Lord calls us. And so here at Magic Valley Bible Church, we do this every second Sunday of the month with a call for us to remember, a call for us to, to look to Christ, a call for us to get right with one another and to walk in, in unification of truth. But here's the problem. And it was a problem not only for the Corinthians, but it can often be a problem for us today. And that was the event in communion was treated as a, 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 a ritual. It was something that they happened to just do. It's something that, that, that was treated as, as a practice they performed every so often. And for the Corinthians and themselves, they, they treated the Lord's table as a love feast. And, and so they brought the food and they brought, the, you know, of course, the people and everybody gathered and it was a festive time. But the seriousness is what Paul is trying to capture here for us. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take communion with joy. There's great joy in understanding what God has done on the cross for our sins. There's great hope in understanding those things. But there's also meant to be an emotion of, uh, of seriousness, of, of self-examination, of self-looking inward of what's going on with my Christian life. And do I line up with the truth of the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is my Lord and I'm walking in His ways? Now, when you think about it, our Lord never wanted a cold, calculated religion, did he? He wanted a personal religion that affected your life in such a way that it changed your life. We spoke about that last week, about the difference between religion and Christianity, the importance of having a saving faith, of doing things out of delight instead of duty. And this is what was happening here in Corinth. They were doing things out of duty. They were going through the motions. They were liking the things that they liked, when it be the food, the fellowship, whatever the case may be. But when it came to the seriousness of remembering all that the Lord has done and demonstrated and gave to them, they were kind of half-hearted and going about those things. But when it comes to this personal relationship, we must understand that this has always has been the case. You think about in Genesis in the Garden of Eden where this relationship that our Lord is, has with Adam and Eve, a very intimate one. It was one where he would walk with them and talk with them and then he would be about their, their life and they would be about his life. And there was this, this, this interaction. Even when they sinned, you think about when Adam and Eve sinned. God provided as he provided an animal skin to cover their nakedness, and, and just in the midst of those things, it was, of course, a foreshadowing of the gospel of what we celebrate here in the Lord's table. I mean, this is exactly what's going on here. And so God intended then and intends now, and get this, intends for eternity to have a relationship with you. Of course, for us, it's through the Son, Jesus Christ. It's because you know Him, you understand what He's done for you, that brings you into a, a relationship with God the Father who knows you, who has created you. And here's the beautiful thing, who has forgiven you. He has given you forgiveness and cleansed you so that you and I one day can see him face to face, standing in the righteousness of Christ because of the work of Christ on the cross. And this is what we need to remind ourselves when it comes to the Lord's Supper, a time to reflect, a time to remember, and a time to examine. I think we get the first part right often, that when you think about even in your own soul, if you were to be true to what the Spirit is bringing for us this morning, you understand the theological significance of why we come. 
But how often do we do the exhortation or the warning that Paul says in our passage here this morning? There's also this personal self-examination, a heart check that one must do to make sure that we're taking communion in a worthy manner. Today's sermon falls along with this, a personal heart check, and, and of course, this is, this is a good thing for us. It's, it's time to take inventory of your own soul. We need to stop and think and evaluate what, he, what he's saying, am I living up to him, or is this just lip service? Is this just going through the motions? Does my heart match up to the truth and reality that, that I am Christ and Christ is mine? And, and, and so we go about living in such a way that gives him honor. And so this is a heart check. But I think too often we miss this. We miss this. Often as believers, we forget the importance of self-examination. Sure, we partake. And sure, we celebrate the person and the work of Jesus Christ, but we often take it in duty instead of delight. Duty instead of devotion. You and I both know that Jesus Christ himself instituted this communion. It was something to be remembered until his second coming, something that often the believers would find themselves gathered and they would partake. Remember, it was in the upper room that he did this in. Remember, this was the event that launched his arrest and all these things as he was preparing them and telling them that he's going to go to the cross. It was this where in the Gospels it records for us that the sovereign hand of God says, now is the time that I will be arrested. And he allows himself to be arrested. So communion has a twofold purpose in our hearts. One is to remember theologically all the things that Christ has done, and two, to examine our own hearts, our own souls. I often think, why? Why is the second part often missed? I think part of it is apathy, laziness. Part of it is, is no desire to because they know that if they have to get right with another person, that that's a difficult thing, and who loves to run to, towards conflict? But you understand, beloved, that, that Christ is all about reconciliation, right? And it's important for us to, to understand, not only has he reconciled you as a sinner to a holy God, but he desires for us to be reconciled to each other. And so it, it's so important, I, I think, that we, we look at this in, in the vein that has been given examining our hearts, allowing the Lord to examine our souls to make sure that we are right with one another. And if we're not right with one another, we let the elements pass. Communion. <clears throat> Just as much as our Savior is a personal Lord and Savior, communion is meant to be personal. It's meant to be between the born-again believer and their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we approach the Lord's table, let us turn to this portion of Scripture that explains what does it mean to take it in a worthy and even an unworthy manner. Why? Because this is an issue of the heart, often that the Scriptures bring forth. 
And what God's word exposes here is that we are in one of these two conditions. Either we are here this morning ready to approach the Lord's Supper with a worthy heart, an acceptable heart, a heart that's prepared, understanding, yes, that we're sinners, but yet we are forgiven and we're right with one another, or we're going to take it in an unworthy way. So may the Spirit help us here this morning examine our souls. First, the unworthy heart. We see this played out mostly. Um, this is where Paul's exhortation goes to. It starts in verse 27. Look at it me with me again. Verse 27, it reads, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Oh, serious stuff, right? And I mean, just a clear-cut exhortation. And like I said, after explaining the purpose of communion in the previous verses and what the elements represent, Paul goes after the behavior of believers. He goes after the heart. Notice he says, beginning with verse 27, therefore, he is is just launching, here's the purpose of communion. Because of that, this is how you go about it. You're either going to go about it in, in a worthy way or an unworthy way. And so what is significance of this whole passage when you think about where it rests and, and how it plays out in the Greek? It all rests upon this whole issue of worthiness. Is your heart worthy to receive a remembrance that went through the elements of what Christ has done? Literally in the Greek, this word for worthy means to talk about taking up of weight. It talks about weightiness. It has the idea of being unbalanced where Christ is, is more, has a worth in your life than your own soul, than your own deeds, than your own living. And what Paul is saying is that when we don't live in the present condition where our heart, mind, and conduct match up with the calling we have in Christ Jesus, then we are living in an unworthy way. He understands you're going to not be able to do that perfectly. He understands that. But do we, when we are confronted with our sins, get right with Christ? Do we, in the midst of life, do we we understand the worthiness that, that what Christ has done? Do we understand that we have a Savior who desires to forgive us continually? Positionally, yes. Christ does that. He justifies you for eternity. But this process of of continual grace and forgiveness in our life is something that we call sanctification that happens continually within our souls. And so where is it? Does our lives match to the worthiness or the worthy walk that God has called you? Now, what I don't want you to understand is that God is not asking you to balance the weight. He's not asking you to bring such good works that that it equals the scales. He wants you to understand that you need to depend on him and that he is sufficient for all things. And so that in the midst of it is not necessarily going to be be balanced. It's going to be tilted towards walking in the spirit and allowing Christ to to have his way within your soul. Right? Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who lives, but what? Christ lives within me. And so what does it mean? What are some of the ways that we can take communion in an unworthy way. Let me give you a few examples I think that is helpful. Another unworthy way to take communion is to believe that communion imparts grace and mercy. 
Listen, there's nothing significant, nothing salvific in the elements. But to think that, that this is continual aspect of God's blood and his body, which, by the way, is a controversial issue even in church history and how they look at the elements. But what you're doing is that you're taking the focus on the Savior and you are putting upon yourself thinking that, 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 that I need save again when Jesus says, once I saved you, I've saved you. That he has the saving ability and this redeeming work that only that he can grant. So much so that Jesus says that no one can pluck you out of his hand. Now here's a word of caution. Don't rely on that, right? What Paul is saying is evaluating that if you are the Lord's, you will live for the Lord. And this is a continual daily thing. And so to think that there's some kind of grace or, or merit or favor by taking or adding to what Christ has already done is a wrong theological approach to understand what communion is all about. Another example of unworthiness would be for the believer to come to the table with bitterness in their heart. A hatred towards another, uh, another believer. To be able to come and, and think that, you know what, God will just overlook like that. I will just kind of go through the motions. I will think that I'm doing right. Everybody else will see me taking the elements and think that my life is right. But deep down in your heart, you've got an, a hatred, a bitterness towards somebody else. That is taking communion in an unworthy way. If a believer comes with anything less than the loftiness and thoughts of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this Godhead, and with anything less than total love for his brothers and sisters in Christ, he comes in a heart that is unworthy. Did you get that? If our attention is not drawn to all that Christ is and all that Christ has done, and, that we're, and if we're not right with one another, then, then we are taking communion in an unworthy way. And the Word of God says in this verse, in verse 27, is that you will be, look at it there, it says, guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, this is pretty significant. This comes with judgment. To come unworthy to communion does not simply dishonor the ceremony, it dishonors the one in whom the ceremony honors. Let me illustrate that for you. You and I both know that when someone takes the American flag and either stomps on it or burns it, they are not dishonoring the cloth, but they are dishonoring all the things that the flag stands for, and that enrages us. Such is the case if we come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, we are violating all that it represents all that it brings. And the scripture tells us that it will bring a guilt to your life. We will become guilty of dishonoring his body and his blood, which represent his total gracious life and work for us. We become guilty of mocking the very person and work of Jesus Christ. This is serious stuff, right? Paul goes on to explain what this guilty judgment looks like. Look at verse 29. Skip down a verse. Verse 29 says this, it says, for he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he, if he does not judge the body rightly. 
partaking in the, in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner brings judgment. Now, I think it's helpful for us to understand what does this mean? What kind of judgment is this? What is going on here? Well, Paul uses a, a very specific Greek word here that is important for us. It's the Greek word kerma, and, and it has the idea of discipline. It has the idea of, of a fatherly discipline to the one who is acting unworthy. And because one has taken communion in an unworthy heart, what Paul is saying is that you will be found guilty of mocking the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and you will receive judgment or a sentence of discipline for your consequences. Now, why do I make that distinction, and why you need to know that? Because your King James Bible, it, it, it translates that word for judgment as damnation, which means separation, right? And that's a wrong interpretation of what he is saying here. Paul would have used a different word for, and there was a different word for damnation or condemnation if he wanted that emphasis, but that's not what he wants to convey here. Remember that Paul is speaking to a believer. The scripture clearly tells us and reminds us in Romans 8.1 that there therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And so if we're in Christ Jesus, there is not going to be no condemnation or damnation. Thus, that translation misses the mark. The judgment here that Paul is speaking about when a person is found guilty of an unworthy heart and taking communion is fatherly discipline. By the way, when it comes to unworthiness, when it comes to your sins, the simple remedy to that is, is repentance, right? That, that's what God calls us. That's what remedies the situation, getting right with our Lord and with others. It's about admitting your sin and receiving from the Lord what you've already received positionally in Christ, grace, and forgiveness. Now, to further bolster this as we continue to, to kind of just wrap our minds around this unworthy manner, we need to look at what this judgment looks like. And, and Paul spells it out for us. If you turn to verse 32, you'll see this. He gives them a clear indication that this was the hand of a disciplining father upon believers who take communion in an unworthy way. When it says there, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Again, this, this parallels with this, this fatherly discipline that, that God is going to do these things. We are judged and disciplined by the Lord. That is the type of judgment that the Lord brings when you take communion in an unworthy way. So judgment here is speaking about a physical punishment. Well, how do we know that? Because verse 30 tells us. Look at verse 30. If you look back, for this reason, he gives them the reason why and how this discipline looks like. Many of you were weak and sick and a number sleep, which is synonymous with death. That is the hand of God upon the, that Paul is pointing to of, of a fatherly discipline when it comes to somebody taking communion in an unworthy way. I think that's true with sin. I think that's true when we think about Hebrews and, and the hand of discipline upon the life of the believer that, that the Lord is going to bring to get your attention, to get you back in line. That's the joy of what the rod does to the believer with the hand of God's discipline is to awaken our senses to what is right, what is true, what is holy, and get right. And of course, the joy of that, again, is just to look to Christ for that. 
and through that. The weak and the sick, of course, is talking about the physical elements. And then Paul talks about this, a number were sleep. And, and this is where it gets very humbling. When Paul refers to someone who's asleep, he's speaking about their physical death. I think that it would be a purifying thing for the church if we saw that today. What do I mean? Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were the husband and wife conspired to, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to God himself, saying that they sold a piece of land for a different number than what they actually did. And as they presented what they thought they wanted to present and, and have a form of godliness, and, and yet not really, they weren't telling the truth, Right? They immediately died. Of course, he goes in first, he dies. She comes in, she dies. And what do you think that did to the church? I don't know about you, but if I looked at that, I think it would purify my soul to make sure that I'm right with what I say and what I do. That's why I think it's a beautiful thing to to, to be reminded of those things so that we see how the seriousness, how the Lord disciplines people so as his holiness, he takes them out. So it's clear from scriptures here that the Lord actually puts to death a number of believers in Corinth. I mean, the Corinthian readers, they're reading us, they know exactly what he's talking about. They've probably had no doubt have in their minds the examples of those who were weak, those who were sick, and those who died. And they're evaluating what he's saying according to what the word of God says. And they're, they're sifting their hearts in the midst of all of this. And so again, in verse 31, Paul gives us the remedy or the solution to avoid such godly discipline for, from our Heavenly Father. If you look at verse 31, look what it says. He says, but if we judged ourselves rightly. In other words, if we're, if we're true to our souls, to the reality of life, of what is right, what is good, what is holy, we would not be judged. And so it's taking an honest inventory of your heart, an honest inventory of your soul. And so Paul is asking us to evaluate our hearts in light of God's word. We are to judge our hearts rightly according to the word of God. And by the way, you can't slip one by God. Do you understand that? He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So what a fool it would be to present something to God who knows truly what is right and what is good and present something totally different than what God knows. And so, when it comes to this, and we're confronted by truth, even as we sit here this morning, we point to 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, a daily cleansing, a daily repentance, knowing that God desires for us to walk in holiness. By the way, don't use that verse as your remedy just to go sin and then knowing that you can just repent later. I mean, that's a wrong concept. Um, you know, I hear that sometimes there's a phrase out there, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do this and ask for forgiveness later. That's a wrong concept. If you know what is right, James 4, 17, you do it, right? If you know what is right, you do. If not, it becomes sin to you. And so it's important that we are engaged in these things with such a way, with an understanding that we're walking in righteousness when, when God reveals sin in our souls, we repent and get right. 
By the way, when we think about discipline, especially the Father's discipline, God's discipline, let's look at it in the right vein that this is love. This is God's love towards us. He doesn't just let you wander in such a way that you just go and and you're out there. If you are his sheep, he will come after you and he will discipline you with a desire to get you right. All that is a heart of love. All that is the unworthy heart. And like I say, Paul spends a lot of verses on that to make sure that we get it right. Now, real quickly, the worthy heart. Look at verse 28 with me. Look back, verse 28. It says, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There it is, self-examination. Every time a believer comes to the Lord's Supper, we examine our hearts. It's like taking a spiritual MRI. It's like an x-ray where we're examining our souls. And we need to look honestly at our hearts for everything that we should not be there. We should be looking at what's going on and how we approach, what we said, and we should get right. We should be tender. I love it when, when somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, I need to ask for your forgiveness. What do I mean by that? What I like about it is that they're listening to the Spirit. And there might be something where I have no idea what they're asking for forgiveness for, but in their souls, I trust that the Spirit is teaching them And so I receive that with grace. And and of course, there's forgiveness to be granted because if we have been forgiven, we are ought to, Jesus taught us, to forgive others. And so we need to allow the Spirit to have its way with us, and we need to be sensitive. We don't need to be flippant and say, oh, no, you're fine, you're good. Take that in light of what they're doing and what the Spirit is doing with their souls and receive that, but yet encourage them. Encourage them to continue to pursue Christ all the more. This is what's going on. We check our motives. We check our attitudes towards the Lord and towards our hearts towards others. And so, I mean, we have a quick response when it comes to dealing with our sin. May it be one that we look to Christ. May it be one that we, we understand the worthy act of, of what the communion brings us with, with the Lord dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead and, and dying and taking the wrath of God for us. By the way, this is not the only place where Scripture calls you to examine yourself. It is throughout the Scriptures. Let me give you just a short list. I think of Psalm 26, 2, where David exclaims, he said, hey, he says, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. David says, have your way with my soul, Right? Examine me, try me, test me. Prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 12, 3, prays this, but you know me, O Lord, you see me, and you examine my heart's attitude towards you. Jeremiah understands that the Lord knows what he's thinking and what he's doing, that the Lord sees all that he does, and the Lord checks his heart. I think about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5, where he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Proverbs 4, 23 says, watch over your heart with diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch, guide, protect, examine. I think this is where the Pharisees and Sadducees got in trouble. I think that they stopped doing self 
examination. They, they, they did what they thought was externally going to gain approval with others in their religious pursuit of things. Beloved, examine your hearts. Which asks, let me ask you the question, right? How often do you tend to your souls? How often is it that you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, looking at my past day, my thoughts were not right. Forgive me. How often are you asking the, the word of the scriptures to sift your soul in such a way that you have to tend to your heart? I mean, how familiar are you with your sin? And how much that is an offense against the holy and righteousness of God? Can you identify your weaknesses? And in so doing, do you cling to Christ as the answer? How much self-examination do you do in a week? Of course, the self-examination is in all areas, your mind, your motives, your heart, your actions, your thoughts, your emotions, and your feelings. All those areas of your life are on the table for the Lord to examine and for you to examine as well. And with that, we use honesty. We use integrity. We have to get past the idea that when somebody says, how are you doing? And we respond, I'm doing well. Really? Listen, we all struggle in this Christian life, do we not? There are times where we need one another. We, we need to have people around us to, to carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need the Word of God. Why? Because in all honesty, sometimes things are not going well. Things are not going well. Oh, by the way, those Pharisees and Sadducees, those self-righteous Religious leaders, Jesus called them a bunch of whitewashed tombs, called them snakes, called them serpents because they wouldn't self-examinate knowing that their heart was evil. Communion, taking in a, in a, a worthy way. To skip forward, not only do we take it with a right understanding theologically, but also when it comes to one another Paul ends this in verse 33 by saying, So then, my brethren, when you come together, eat and wait for one another. If things are not right, you wait, and you get it right. Whatever that looks like. You seek for out the one that has offended you or that you offended, and you get it right. Knowing that if they know the Lord, <clears throat> and you know the Lord, it'll go right, it'll go well. And grace and forgiveness will be established and you're able to walk hand in hand towards in unity, towards the things of God's godliness and kingdom. All that to prepare our hearts, right, for communion. A simple evaluation that often, like I said, gets overlooked. A simple self-examination that we must do before we take the Lord's table. And so where is it, beloved? Is your heart prepared? And if it's not, we're going to give you time to pray and get it right. If it's not, I would pray that you would, and if it's with somebody else, you've got to get it right, that you let the elements pass and you go get it right. 
But may we approach the Lord's table with a sense of awe, a sense of understanding, with a heart that desires to take it in the vein that it's been given. Worshiping Christ and all that He has done. And so with that, before I pray, I'm going to ask the men to come forward and the worship team to step up. As we prepare our hearts, I'm going to do so by, by allowing you to pray, asking the Lord to sift your souls, to make sure that we're doing this in a worthy way. And so let us do that. Let us bow in prayer and in silence as we prepare our hearts to take communion. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.